Hello and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter, as featured on BBC Radio 4 Extra's Podcast Hour, BBC Radio Manchester and also now BBC Radio Lancashire. Joining me today is author Sarah Schofield, who has just written her first short story collection, Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. How are you today? I'm very well, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute um, (laughs) honour. No worries. So take me back to when you were younger. Have you always been creative and and enjoyed reading and writing? Yeah, it's been, I think, from the first time I could sort of hold a pen, hold a pencil, um I all I wanted to do was create story and stories and and you know those first books that you read when you're tiny at primary school um and you know that just that joy of like wanting to create books create story so when I was really little I used to um go to my dad's place of work before going to school each morning and wasn't really anything for me to do so dad would fold bits of paper into books for me and then I would write stories in them and draw pictures and um yeah so it's been a bit of a compulsion since I was just tiny really yeah and when you were younger and you were writing these stories can you remember any of them like were they sort of really basic or were they were they detailed or what was your sort of go-to favorite story to write when you were before school (laughs) Well, I think you, I think you sort of mimic what you, what you're reading uh, to some extent, sort of like a creative response when you're very little. Um, so there was maybe a bit of that. Um, maybe some characters might have cropped up. I was very into Fraggle Rock. If any of your listeners remember Fraggle Rock, I think maybe some of those characters popped in here and there. Um, there was, I think, something that I used to really like doing was um, kind of um recording what was going on in my everyday life so I used to always sort of write diaries and keep records of um things we've been doing um and yeah um all sorts really I remember once I I think I like to write about places that I maybe wanted to go or exotic places and I remember writing a um a story once that was set in it was a family and they were traveling to Las Vegas mm. um I'd never been I didn't know where it was or what it was but it just sounded fabulous and exotic and exciting so this family went to Las Vegas and they spent a lot of time on the beach um and it was only later my dad pointed out well you'd struggle (laughs) in Las Vegas going to the beach and uh yeah so you know accuracies didn't really matter as a child but um just having that passion for telling stories was always something that was there and did you always sort of want to be an author did you have a dream of having a book published one day yeah I think that was always the goal that was always the aim and it's uh it's been a long time coming to be honest so I started working with my amazing publishers comma press um who are based in Manchester and specialize in short fiction I started um 
well it goes it goes way back to uh, when I, fir I first knew about Comma Press uh, from uh, being an undergrad student and then doing an MA and meeting um, Ra Page who is the editor and founder of um, of Comma Press uh, right way way back um, years ago and just knowing that I wanted to write short fiction and I would love to work with Comma Press so that was I mean we're going back 20 years and 10 years sort of on from from that initial um, you know aspiration when I was an undergrad um, I, I managed to start working with them um, sort of doing commissions and and, and uh, getting commissioned stories with them and they they have fantastic projects where they partner up writers with scientists and consultants to put together stories that then go into anthologies mm. so I had 10 years of doing that with with comma press and we'd always had this idea that you know it'd be great to have a collection together so this is 10 years on again um, since my first commission with comma press uh, that I'm actually getting my book published with them and it's um it's incredibly exciting and and uh, it really is a dream come true it sounds cheesy but it, it absolutely is and so there's short stories in your collection which we're going to talk about but for a story to be a short story what type of length are you looking for and and is it sort of the same structure as say a novel but just shorter principally yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, people have been finding answers to that question for a long time. I would say if you're talking about there's two there's two ways to think about a short story. You can think about it as a kind of quantitative thing like this, you know, the amount of it. Or you can think of it as like qualitative. So the actual quality of it. So in terms of like quantity, a short story, generally speaking, is anywhere from a few words long. Sometimes, you know, you can get short stories that are six words, like microfiction. So you can get flash fiction, which is kind of anywhere between, you know, fifty words and a um, thousand words. And then you get you can get longer short stories. I think you're probably pushing it if you go over ten thousand words. I think you're moving into novella territory there in terms of kind of the size of the thing. When you think about the qualities that make a short story though it's more about and again this is one that people debated and talked about so much but for me it's something about having a singular moment or something a, a moment of change um that's kind of quite pinned downable so there's a really fantastic writer called um julio cortazar and he um describes it he says when he's talking about short stories he says it like a short story is like a photograph whereas a novel is like a film mm. so it's kind of capturing that one moment and as a writer you're working out how you want to frame that moment just like a photographer would you know frame an image and, and work out what goes into the aperture what stays out of the aperture what the focus is going to be what the tone or the quality of the picture is going to be um that's when you're writing a short story that's kind of what you're thinking about creating almost like the equivalent of a photograph Whereas if you were writing a novel, which I think is incredible and I've never done, um, never completed um, to any satisfactory degree, um, that's more like a film. It's got much more space to stretch out. There might be two or three storylines in there or more. Um, you might have much, you know, um, uh, more characters in there. So there's something qualitatively different about a short story. It's kind of like something a bit more essential a bit like a canopy almost yeah yeah I remember having a massive book of I think it was like 50 short stories before bed yeah. and 
they were I think because it was like a children's one it was only a few pages but like hey mm. four pages um mm. but just enough it probably would only take like five ten minutes to read it mm. but it was just mm. like you said that one moment I think that was a really yeah. good way of explaining it um yeah. and so safely gathered in is the name mm. of your yeah. your collection how do you yeah. feel about it being published <sighs> Oh, I feel um, immensely excited, immensely excited and, and actually really quite nervous, if I'm honest. It's, it's kind of in equal measures. So I feel really excited because it's been something that I've been working towards for a long time. And, you know, I've had lots of amazing writer friends that have been supporting me on the journey and we do it together and, you know, been talking about it for ages. But it's also quite terrifying because what if people don't like it or what if um you know it's you kind of putting yourself out there a little bit and you want to you know I want people to enjoy it I want people to get a satisfaction from it and to um you know maybe um find stories that they can relate to and really engage with and and that speak to them about something of their own experiences so you kind of I really sort of have that feeling of like, oh, I really hope it does those things and it doesn't just, it's not just a thing that's sort of there. Um, so yeah, yeah, kind of very, very exciting. Very, very nervous. Um, but um, yeah, excited to sort of see what's next really as well. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll read the blurb before we go into a bit more detail that um, you sent me. So there's I think three sort of little chunks of like a little bit of a blurb of each well of three of the 17 short stories in the collection um so I'll just read them so I I feel like it's an audio an audio book I'll be doing (laughs) um a woman grows increasingly annoyed by her husband's emails offering advice and reminders even months after his death A taxidermist dreams of preserving one of his clients after she takes him out for a coffee. A grieving nurse is troubled by her daughter's fascination with the Iron Lady. In Safely Gathered In, Sarah Schofield probes at the heart of what forms us and what we in turn form. The stories collected here expose the spaces that words often fail to reach and examine how objects, both man-made and natural, can reflect the darkest manifestations of grief and disconnection. From the child acting out a family betrayal in the comfort of her doll's house to the sister making wind-up toys from the dead birds she finds on her doorstep, this debut collection ventures into the surreal and delivers a sense of unease that leaves us questioning why we gather the things we do. Wow, they all sound so <laughs> so excited to read them. Um, so why did you choose the title, Safely Gathered In? What was the process with that? So the title uh, comes from one of the titles of the short stories in the collection. So it's um, one of the stories that's in the collection is actually called Safely Gathered In. And you often find that with collections of short stories that um, um, sometimes people will lift the the title of the whole piece from one of the maybe the stories that maybe has an essence of the collection. And that for me really, um, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about the title um, choices in a moment, but we, we went for Safely Gathered In because the story itself um the short story safely gathered in uh is it's all about the things people keep in in uh self-storage units which sounds really dull actually but what the idea of what I was trying to do is capture um a character through the things they keep 
And I think that's fascinating mm. to think about, you know, what things we find important or what things do we feel are worth saving or, or preserving somehow. Um, and that story is actually kind of a, a, a mashup. So it's got a voice of um, the self-storage kind of commercial um which I, um, I kind of uh, lifted text online and rewrote it, obviously, to, to make it my own words, but it's in the style of um, kind of self-storage, um, trying to sell you self-storage space. So you've got that voice in that story. And then there's a second voice, which is the kind of um, the itemized lists of, you know, what's in each unit. And then there's a third layer in there, which is lyrics from the hymn, um, I think it's called the Harvest Hymn, um, and it's it. So we I've lifted the lyrics from that song and kind of just tweaked them over slightly to kind of I wanted to draw out parallels between the things that we kind of harvest of our mm, lives. Yeah, and we have that feeling, don't we? Sometimes that you know, with memory, you know, we don't want memories to slip away. We we all take so many selfies and photographs, and we hang on to certain possessions because they mean a certain thing to us that. The possession in itself is not worth necessarily mm. monetary anything, but it holds such important things for us. And that was something I wanted to kind of explore in Safely Gathered In. So that was, and that is something that echoes through pretty much all of the stories in the collection, this idea of, you know, holding on to memory. And there's, there's a word that I kind of had um, throughout the writing of this collection um and it's a um a brazilian expression called saudade um i'm really sorry to any brazilian uh Spanish speakers out there who maybe um uh, can pronounce that far better than i can but it's this idea of um uh like a nostalgic longing and we don't really have a word in our language that says it mm. to the extent that saudade means the depth of meaning um so it's sort of nostalgia, but like supercharged nostalgia that runs through all of the collections, like a deep longing for a place or a person or a thing. So that's why uh, we kind of decided that that was the best story title to represent the whole collection. Now, the, can I tell you a little funny story about what this, the collection could have been called? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so there's another story in the collection called um, Honey fungus, which I absolutely um, love the concept of. It's all about um, a, a forager, a woman who is a forager, and she starts foraging for. Um, she she she's supporting this chef, this Michelin-starred chef, by foraging some of the food for him. And and um, there's a particular uh, mushroom called the honey fungus. I just think it's a wonderful kind of name. Until somebody pointed out that it sounded maybe a little bit rude, like a bit like some sort of gynecological disorder. <laughs> and after I'd heard that, I was like, I can't call my collection honey fungus. So we decided <laughs> we decided to go for safely gathered in instead. And um, yeah, so there it is, and I, it's it's right. It's the right title, yeah. and it's, um, it feels yeah, it feels like the right thing. Yeah, it felt when when I when I saw the title, I kind of got the feeling as well of like you're safely like when you read, you're safely yeah. sort of encapsulated in it, and and things yeah. like that. So I think it has so yeah, many interpretations. Absolutely. Yeah, and it also you know if you have to say something safe. If something's safely gathered in, you have to say that it's safe. Does that make you kind of subconsciously or consciously think maybe I'm not safe? Because if you have if you have to describe something as safe, you know, you kind of think maybe it isn't that safe. And and there's some stories in the collection that are a bit 
um, edgy or a little bit maybe challenging to our um, our feelings or thoughts about things. And so I did want that edge of, you know, are we safe? Is it, you know, um, so yeah, so it kind of works on lots and lots of levels. And the idea of the stories being safely gathered in, I don't know, it's, yeah, it was, it was a nice title to play with. And so how long did maybe one of the stories take to write and sort of how long was the process? So you mentioned it for a few years, but like, how long did it take you to write? So um, <laughs> all of the stories in the collection um, were written over a 10 year period. So um, the, yeah, um, the most, yeah. So the, the one of the ones I wrote in the collection, I, yeah, pretty much wrote 10 years ago. And then I've just been gathering them, um, safely gathering them in um, over the last <laughs> 10 years. Um, and um, the last one that I wrote is the last story in the collection and literally wrote it uh, about three days before we went to sort of final proofs. So it was really, really last minute. And it just felt like I needed something to kind of sum up all of the stories and, and pull everything together. Um, and mm -hmm. it's called Nostalgia for Beginners. And it's all about, um, it's like a course. It's like a spoof course in nostalgia. Um, and I hope people will find it funny and kind of interesting. Um, and um, yeah, it was great fun to write. It was great fun to write. So yeah. And what's your process in terms of when you're thinking of a story? Um, do you sort of visualize the characters and write about them to then write the story? Or do you sort of think of a moment? What's your sort of process of writing a, a short story? I think it often starts with like a hook of something interesting and I was I was thinking about this today and I was thinking it's probably very similar to what you do when you're deciding maybe people to interview and, and uh, to talk to on on your podcast so you know you find that moment of interest in something that someone is doing or, or um, that you know is engaging or somehow intrigues you and and that is the moment at which you think okay and then just like you do on your podcast you ask questions and you explore it and you interrogate um in a very very nice way um, but you kind, of, um, you kind of like explore it and, and unpick it a bit and and get under the skin of it it's very much the same I think as when I approach writing a story so it might be that there's a character that just does something funny and you kind of think oh, I want to kind of know more about that or what what that is um or it might be that you just have an, an idea of a what if. So with the first story in the collection, it was this idea of, um, you know, what if somebody started receiving emails from somebody that had passed away? Um, which actually, it happened to me. My, my dad passed away um, a few years ago. And then I very oddly got this sort of email that just dropped into my inbox one day. And it was it was just nothing. It was just spam but it was from it looked to be from my dad and it was very strange um mm. very odd experience but I was thinking what would you know what would that be like if if that you know if that was something that was really happening for for a character so yeah that's often sort of the 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 what if questions or the um you know but it's also it could be something that you know if I read something in a, a paper like you know there's little stories that don't get much coverage yeah um, they're always really fascinated because they're the ones you want to ask more about and want to kind of explore more um so all sorts of places everywhere um and and yeah um they they, they get formed the stories get formed in different ways I, I very rarely write 
from the beginning of a story to the end of a story quite often I'll start somewhere in the middle and it kind of grows out from that mm. or it'll yeah I kind of shape it from a lump of it of story rather than kind of I, I'm not someone that sits down and starts at the beginning of the story and ends at the end mm. I kind of come at it from different angles and that's sort of my my approach but yeah that's yeah it's different for everyone I think every story kind of comes in its own way and I'll write a story and, and then I'll go go to write the next thing and I'll think oh I can't, I'm not sure I know how to write stories anymore and it always feels different every time you do it so yeah and in like the pandemic and lockdowns did you have more time I mean you probably didn't have two children but did you have more time to sort of be creative and did you write any stories in in lockdown no I didn't do much writing at all um I um I think I wrote a few very short pieces and I, I wrote I wrote sort of snatches of bits of some stories nothing really coherent um but um what what I did find was that it was really difficult because we had two small children and then um we all had COVID early on and it sort of rumbled on a bit and, and so it was quite it was quite difficult um as it was you know for, for everybody and, and I'm sure people had it actually significantly harder than we did but um it wasn't a great creative time <laughs> um but what it did do is it, it stirred up lots of thoughts and emotions and feelings um that then after, as things have started to improve slightly I found that Covid was kind of sneaking into my my work in mm. interesting ways so the story um there's there's a story that went into a collection that was all about um abject um feelings of abjection and um that story sort of featured um somebody who'd who'd lost somebody through Covid and so it was it was a vehicle for me to sort of explore how I'd experienced that and I think often when I'm writing that's if I'm honest, that's what I'm doing. I'm exploring emotions and exploring um, feelings in a way that is more, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a kind of safe place to do it for me. Um, mm. So, yeah, um, and I hope that people reading it find that as well, that it's a safe place for them to explore feelings or emotions or, um, or, or things that they've encountered and that they might see themselves in the stories or their, their feelings in the stories too. Yeah. Do you have a favourite of the short stories in your collection or one that was particular fun to write? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, I love food. <laughs> I really love food. Um, I love everything from fast food takeaway to um, like super duper, very posh food um and everything between I love cooking I love uh creating the food so any story that features cooking eating the sort of sensory pleasures or sensations of of food is something that I really enjoy so I think for that reason one of my favorites is is honey fungus because it's kind of all about foraged food and and kind of fungi and all the you know um kind of really earthy um uh, sustenance that we get kind of fused with high-end Michelin star stuff so that I love that um, and I love 
engaging with how we as humans engage with eating and you know the the thing you know we cook for people we love you know it's an act of love isn't it to to feed somebody and uh to you know what you give them is a part of yourself so um that's something I love exploring in my work so any story that kind of features food is one of my favorites um I there's another one uh which is called the Bacto Garden and that one is all about um uh um, a um, it's called synthetic biology and there's a chef and everything she creates is synthetically engineered and that was such a delight to write because there was really no you know boundaries um, I actually wrote that collaboratively with a fantastic um, science consultant called um, Martin Amos and we just had so much fun talking about all the food elements and all the you know the potentials of synthetic biology and um, synthetic engineering um, and yeah so so anything I think probably my favorite <laughs> one is any with food in <laughs> and so the first story in your collection um the one that is about the husband's emails are you able to read us a little a little section of that i would absolutely love to um of course i love I what you've just been handed there by the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know essential um small glass of white wine to uh, help um help uh, me read this out for okay so um this is the opening few paragraphs to a story called Dead Man's Switch. Okay. And this is the first story in the collection. <clears throat> Today, Emmy receives another email from her dead husband. She would like it, him, to stop. She says this to Kath when she rings in the afternoon. Technically speaking, he already has, Kath says, then adds, David was a forward planner. It's not funny says Emmy. I'm not laughing. Her sister sounds distracted and Emmy imagines her ironing her towels while they're talking. When did you get it? This morning I was in bed. Emmy doesn't mention that at the time she had her toes pressed into the warmth between Gary's calves, although Kath does know all about him. What did the email say? Emmy braces the phone against her ear and kneels on the bedroom floor. She pulls open David's drawers and stares at his socks, rolled like maki sushi. Similar vein to the last one. She scoops the contents onto the floor. At the back of the drawer are three packets of Fisherman's Friends and two sets of knitting needles. She tears the corner off one of the sweet packets and pops one into her mouth. What exactly does it say? Kathy says. Emmy rolls the lozenge around her tongue. Hang on, I'll put you on speaker. Right, it says, the MOTM, it's due next week. Of course, you may have forgotten all about it. It's very simple. Gary at Carlton's has always been great to deal with. Oh God, says Kathy. I know, says Emmy. And I'll leave that there oh, for now. <laughs> that is, yeah. that's hooked me right in. <laughs> <laughs> you've got such a good reading voice as well oh, I feel like <laughs> it's my uh my alternative uh, career I'd love to be a an audio book reader <laughs> yeah no definitely and you know what I find interesting is that reading a book is the only thing that when you're reading it everyone has a different vision of the characters and the scenery like with films you see 
you see the characters, TV shows, you see the characters, but with books, everyone's imagination goes into it differently. So sort of, I was imagining Emmy with sort of black hair, fringe on the floor with um, like a big sort of line, the witch in the wardrobe type wardrobe and a big bed, whereas you might have envisaged, how did you envisage her? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I um, I think in my head she's blonde, but you know, it really doesn't matter. And, and actually um, it's, it's brilliant that I, you know, I just think that the most amazing thing about fiction or, or any kind of story or any, any kind of, you know, printed material is that I have a little idea and I write it down and it's just black page, you know, black words on a white page or on a screen. And then off it goes to, to you or to another reader. And then it goes into their head and this magical crazy thing happens where it kind of comes to life in their head. Mm. And I'm, I don't, I don't need you to imagine Emmy exactly as I imagine her mm. I want you to picture her how you picture her and I want you to then own that story yeah and when I'm talking to my writing students I talk about it a bit like a contract so I've got a contract with my reader that I want them to really just enjoy the story and enter into it and be part of it and if I described to the nth degree exactly how everything looked and exactly what the you know the bedroom looked like and x y and z actually that takes the joy out of your experience because it's your yeah. story then so yeah, yeah it's really interesting to hear how you pictured it that was that was really interesting yeah and it's like however many books that are sold you'll have that many different amounts of that character and and the scenery and and I think the only thing that I think ruins that is when it, a book would turn into a film and then you some people get so upset yeah. don't they when the film character is not what they visioned and it, it, it just they just get really upset I'm gonna ask you a tricky question what do you think is your favorite book you've ever read and who's wow. your favorite author oh my goodness that I, I find that almost impossible to answer um oh my gosh okay I'm gonna answer it um so <laughs> I can't even think what she's called the person who wrote it so the story the the I I love I there's just so many there's just so many particularly short fiction writers who I adore admire love um but I'm gonna, if you're gonna ask me for one and I'm gonna be held to that, um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to say <laughs> the, the absolute favorite story ever is something that I read when I was tiny and it was called Mrs. Pepper Potts Busy Day. Mm -hmm. And it's about a woman who shrinks down to the size of a pepper pot. And so she has to find cunning and clever ways of doing things that um she uh now that she's so tiny so she has to sort of like you know work with the wind and work with the the you know get the animals around the house to do jobs for her and it's a story that um I read so many times when I was a child that I I became her I I could mm. picture what it was like to be this little person you know struggling to get jobs done but finding ways to do it and there's one bit where she um Oh, I'd love to know if any of your listeners know this story because it's just such a um, yeah, such a lovely, lovely story. She decides that she's you know she's done all her jobs, and she's just going to sit in a teacup in the uh, the sink and float around for a bit and just have a lovely relax. And the the image and the the words and the description are so etched on my mind because 
it was a story in one of my earliest memories where I was transported into that moment and I could picture myself in it and it was it was it's that coming back to that contract so I had a contract with that with that writer that I was able to put myself in that story and um and become that story and and sort of own it it felt like it was a gift just to me so that's sort of what I always want to try and do for my my readers I want to you know I want them to feel like they're really part of the story and that they're you know involved with it and it's it's an open thing and it's not kind of you know a finished closed thing it's something that we have together yeah Yeah, even if we never meet what are you reading at the moment or are you what have you just finished or I have just been sent two advanced copies of uh short story collections so I have uh, one by um, Vanessa on Wilmedse, which is absolutely amazing. It's called Dark Neighbourhood. And uh, I have another by Lucy McKnight Hardy, which is called Dead Relatives. I'll just double check that. Yeah, Dead Relatives. And um, so I'm doing an event with um, these two amazing writers, um, on the 13th of October. So I requested to see their um, their collections in advance so that I can read them and um, and sort of see how our kind of work marries together. And, and um, it's incredibly um, exciting. They're, they're both amazing collections. I've only just started dipping into them both, um, but already absolutely blown away. So mm. um, feel really, really excited to be um, uh, um launching at the same time as them yeah with our collections and really so when exciting. you'd written yours and you'd I don't know you, you someone would proofread it I guess and they'd check it mm-hmm. <clears throat> has either your husband or anyone read it now what, what do they think if they've been able to or are they waiting until it's published so some of the stories are already out in the world in anthology so they've gone through you know they've um my husband Graham has read uh, bits and pieces Graham's really good because he's not a writer but he's a reader so he will read something in draft form and I can kind of say is that working does it make sense um you know is it coming together okay and or I'll say to him what's this story about and then just as you described before like what you pictured in you know in Emmy's room um he'll be able to recite back to me what he feels the story is about and that helps me know if what I've been trying to maybe put across has come across okay if it's working if it's landing um if it's boring or if it's interesting um because you don't want to bore your reader you want them to be excited and, and has he ever and, said though mm-hmm. that a piece you've written is boring um he won't use that word but he's he's very honest he's very honest he's very encouraging but he's very honest or he'll he'll put it in a sort of very gentle way um but I actually I like quite a quite harsh critique I don't mind people saying oh no I didn't know I didn't work that's not working for me um and I've got an amazing group of writing friends um at uh, we have a, a narrative research group at Edge Hill and we get together and we share work in progress and um it's lovely everyone's very very honest um but very encouraging very supportive and um you know it's really nice when people say oh that's nice I like that story or I like that bit or, or whatever but when you're working on something you kind of need to know honestly and so it's having that kind of group of people that you feel you sort of feel um 
you trust to give you honest feedback. So I would say that, you know, to any writers that are kind of emerging and, and, and starting out, you know, make sure you find people that can give you honest critique and, um, uh, but, but that are listening to what it is you're trying to do and what it is you're mm. trying to write. Um, because, you know, you might be writing something, you know, science fiction fantasy. And if people are not reading it as science fiction fantasy, then the feedback you're going to get is not going to be answering what you're trying to do. So yeah. it's all about making sure. Yeah. I think it's similar to when I'm sort of producing a TV package or something and I think about yeah. editing it and the structure and everything and then I'll send it to sort of my, my mom or my boyfriend and say, right, what do you think of this? Does this work? Does yeah. this flow? And I know what you mean, yeah. like you'd you I like the <clears throat> the harsh critique, but in a yeah. dressed in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because so, they want to get the best out of you, don't they? So yeah. yeah. And obviously the, the editors at Comma are absolutely amazing. You know, been working with with Ra for years and, and his his feedback is always really, really good. Um, and he knows how to get the best out of his writers. And and Zoe um and, and Becca more recently have just been phenomenal editors and just I couldn't have got over the finish line without them they've been incredible so, so very lucky with those. did you what was the process with choosing the front cover because ultimately mm. the front cover in a bookshop is what invites people in isn't it you know if yeah. they're like milling around the shelves and they all oh, this like I'm I'm very aware that I pick books that have got like funky writing on the side or like they're brightly colored or or maybe not brightly coloured and as simple and I'll pick mm -hmm. them up and read the blurb, maybe read the first page. And if I'm not getting it, I'm like, no. So yeah. what was your process with that? I love the front cover, by the way. Huge fan. Oh. oh, thank you. That's so kind. Um, yeah, so the front cover, the artwork is by a phenomenal artist called Rachel Goodyear, who is um, an artist working in Manchester at the moment. And she's just, her artwork is, is stunning. So... I was always quite uh, anxious is too strong a word. I really wanted my front cover to be something that I loved. And um, I've had lots of conversations with writer friends who perhaps haven't loved their front covers um, for one reason or another. Um, it, you might be surprised to, to hear actually that often, very often, the writer gets little to no say in what is on the front of their book um, in terms of the imagery or, or whatever. And that's actually a really good thing because um, we're writers, we're not graphic designers, we're not artists, mm. generally speaking. Um, I, I can't draw from toffee, quite enjoy drawing, but I'm rubbish at it. Um, and I'm not a designer. I, you know, I know kind of things that I like, but I don't have that aesthetic skill to put that, you know, that dynamic image together that will invite the reader in or, mm. or you know, and I, I think when you're so close to the work, sometimes you kind of can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. So, um, so what I did was my fantastic editor Zoe and I, I said, look, can I kind of give you like a few ideas of just what's in my head? And, you know, but it's totally fine if you, you know, if you don't want me to do that, but is that okay? And she was like, yeah, yeah, great. Absolutely. And I was like, can I do a bit of a mood board of just stuff that I like pictures that I like? And, you know, she was like, yeah, yeah, great. So I put together this sort of mood board of, of all the things that I love. And it was a lot of kind of foragey things and fungus and dolls houses, but very specific dolls houses from the 1980s, because that was the sort of aesthetic that I was kind of thinking about. And mm -hmm. Barbie dolls and alphabites and all these kind of things that feature in the collection. 
lots of images that feature in the collection. And um, we, um, it was, it kind of helped me because it helped me to really grasp what, what was, what were some of the, the some parts of the collection and it just helped me to kind of blur that out really mm. um so pass that over to zoe and um and she took it all on board and, and had a really good look and then came back a few uh well sometime later and said we've there's this artist and her work is really stunning and here are some of her images and i opened the images and my jaw hit the floor I was just like, wow, I could never have thought of the illustration or the look that Rachel does in her work. It's absolutely beautiful. If, if listeners get a chance to look on her website, please do. It's, it's, it's so kind of a lot of her work kind of marries in with some of the themes and ideas in, that are in my head creatively. So it felt like such a perfect match. And then we had this kind of like incredible chocolate box selection of you know images that we maybe could could use on the cover and it was really overwhelming and I just knew that I trusted the team at Comma Press to to go with the right thing I kind of said oh, I really like this and I really like that but ultimately I trust you you know best what works on the front of the book you know far better than I do um so kind of yeah let's just let's just go let's go with this um and that's how we ended up with this phenomenal picture of um, a woman I don't, people may not have seen it so it's a woman she's kind of got a head kind of thrown a little back in this kind of look of ecstasy um but there's also something there's something very mysterious about her expression and then over the top of her head is a, a bird cage with birds inside so these birds are like right next to her face and it's sort of there's bird cages and birds throughout the collection of stories so it kind of makes sense that you know it actually speaks to a lot of the stories but there's something very tightly gathered in about the image and and I I adore it I absolutely gathered in it. you might say well <laughs> yes exactly. in, so. yeah tightly gathered in and then someone reminded me that um at our, my wedding um the theme was birds and bird cages which was quite surreal so we had at our wedding we had huge bird cages with little tiny like kind of tiny little beautiful colored birds sort of perched on them and um so it was sort of like oh yeah wow this is like a theme that's running through my life in a really <laughs> sort of completely coincidental way um yeah yeah it's an uh, exciting process and so final few questions Mm. How would you describe yourself as an author in three words? Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Oh, how would I describe myself as an author in three words? Um, I think, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and I might do kind of joint words. Yeah, that's fine. So I would say I try to be like reader-minded. So I, I don't write for my reader, but I want to think about them while I'm writing because it's about, it's about me and them. So I might never meet them. I might never know them or I might know them really, really well. They might be my friend or, you know, but I kind of, I want to remember that we've got, we've, we're together in a bit of a thing with this story. <laughs> so reader minded. Okay. My second my second conjoined word is stone turner. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like the idea that, you know, a short story is kind of like lifting up 
my, me and my boys, we love doing this. We're in the garden, we'll find pebbles or, or slabs that you kind of lift up and you just don't know what's going to be underneath. And it might be, might be nothing. It might be something really surprising, like a, you know, a frog or a, you know, centipede mm. or something. You, know, you never know what's going to be under there. So I want my stories to be a bit like that, that you don't quite know when you start reading what's going to be inside that or underneath that rock. Um, so, yeah, Stone Turner. Um, and I think finally, oh gosh, this is such a good question, Lucy. And I'm, I, I, as soon as we finish, I know I'll think of a million better answers, <laughs> but um, I think eclectic. So I, the collection is is like a complete pick and mix. So there's all sorts of different stories. They, they I hope they come together coherently one way or another, but they're all different lengths. So some stories are very, very short. Some of them are significantly longer. They have different tones. Some of them are mildly autobiographical. Some of them, well, a lot of them have no, you know, connection to, to me and my lived experience at all, except maybe on a kind of experiential level. Um, but yeah, I, I think I wanted to draw together a collection that's really varied and eclectic. And I hope that my next sort of what I'm going to be writing next will similarly have that eclectic flavour. So, yeah, so those are my three words. Um, Reader Minded, Stone Turner, eclectic. Love it. That was such a good answer. <laughs> such a good answer. Um, so you alluded to it, alluded to it then. What's next for you? Are you... Are you writing any more books? What's what's happening? Yeah, so um, I really want to write a radio play. In fact, I've, I've started a radio play and I've been dancing around this idea for a very long time. So I think, and I've said it to you now, so I'm going to have to do it because yeah. it, it's in the, the, the Lucy Baxter podcast, so I have to do it. So I'm going to be um, writing a radio play. Whereas it goes anywhere, I don't know, but I want to explore. I really love robots and, and how robots and humans interact and... AI it fascinates me so I want to sort of explore some of that through a radio drama um so that's next and then I want to write my next collection which is going to be all about oh I heard this amazing word the other day or expression from a really um lovely bloke at Edge Hill who's the archivist a guy called Dan Copley and he was telling me about uh now I might got it slightly wrong orphan works so any 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 writing where you can't find the original writer of it is known as an orphan work and I just think that's such an interesting concept so I want to use texts that have that um are kind of like found texts mm -hmm. and like use them to create stories yeah. so um yeah so that's kind of my next the theme for my next collection and again, I've said it now to you, so it's going to have to, yeah. <laughs> it's going to have to happen. We'll have to have you back um, on when that's, that's written. <laughs> in the next 10 years. <laughs> so finally, if people want to buy Safely Gathered In, when can they buy it from and where can they purchase it? Okay, so I think officially it comes out on the 4th of November um I think I have that correct um but we've got loads of events that are happening all over the place so um for anyone who's around in um Manchester 
We've got the short story salon where we're launching it on the 13th of October at Blackwells. And then oh, what else we got? Um, I'm doing a writing workshop on, um, I, I did a residency on a floating barge called Furo Scribendi, which is just the most incredible thing on the Leeds to Liverpool Canal. It's awesome. If you're ever near the canal and you see a really beautiful coloured boat, it's probably the, flo the floating library. So um, check it is that first and then hop aboard and, and read some short fiction. But I'm doing a, a launch on there and a, a workshop. So if anyone wants to come to the workshop, um, there's, there's details to that that are on my Twitter feed. Um, we've got, there's an event at Edge Hill on the 4th of November, if people want to come to um, an event and be with people, which is quite a scary, but really exciting idea as well. Um, then uh, there's a, we're gonna do an event 18th of November at Ormskirt Library and that will be a little reading and a chance for people to hear about the book um, and uh, a signing as well at Waterstones in Ormskirk on the 6th of November. Oh, I wow. think that's the event so there's lots happening um, and all the details are kind of floating around on my um, on my Twitter. What um, is your Twitter if people want to? My follow? Twitter handle is Sarah E. Schofield um, and uh, I tend, I'm, I'm rubbish at social media, but I tend to try and retweet things as, as they as they come up. Um, and it's just I absolutely love meeting people who love to read, or perhaps have never read much and want to read something new. So um, you know, don't expect a hard sell. If you want to buy my book, that's amazing. But just to engage with readers and people that yeah. are curious or have stories, um, I love hearing people's stories. And uh, so it's it's always lovely to meet people at these things. And yeah, have and a will chat. people will people be able to buy it sort of in Waterstones? And I know like Amazon's yeah. not the preferred thing because it's better in person, but will it be on Amazon or? Yeah, yeah, you can get it through all the normal, all the normal channels um, and you can get it on the Comma Press website, of course. Um, so um, please do, you know, go for that if that's, um, if that's your thing, that'd be brilliant. Um, but yeah, um, any, any good, any good bookshop, any retailer, um, it will be either there or, or for, for order. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. As I say, the Compress website is selling it too. So yeah. Oh well, thanks so <laughs> much for joining me on the podcast today, sir. I feel it was really insightful. Just oh. I feel like I've been in your mind about <laughs> writing stories. <laughs> well, uh, it's been so lovely to talk to you, and and um, yeah, be part of um, part of the podcast. It's a real honour. It really is. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow so you can keep up to date with when each new episode is out.